0: Hi. Uh, we're not gonna have an intro this week because it just sounds like so awful, and I, I just cannot get it to sound good. And so, <laughs> we're skipping it. We're skipping it. We're right in. Everything's good. Everything's fine. So last week was kind of arguably one of the worst weeks of my adult life. Uh, quite interesting turn of events for myself, and that's okay because sometimes you have bad weeks and. Sometimes Murphy's Law just really goes into effect, and everything you try to do doesn't go right. And you know what? Here's what you do. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you come back better than ever. At least it's what you can tell yourself, because that's what I'm telling myself. Hi, this is Cabernet and True Crime. (laughs) I'm your host, Jana, and this is a motivational pep talk to myself while you guys listen. Thanks for joining me. Uh, No, actually, this is not what that's going to be. You know, you know the drill. We're here to talk about true crime and basically talk shit about serial killers. That's what we do every week. And I'm very excited. Uh, This one's an old one. I think I actually recorded a YouTube video on this one a hot minute and by minute, I mean, years ago. And uh, that video has since been deleted. And <laughs> as all of my videos got deleted when I came back, because I don't like any of them and I would like to give it all another go. But um, so this one, I actually, I really like my script and I really like everything about it. And much like if you're an old time listener uh, from the beginning, much like when I forced y'all to listen to my old blog posts because... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would read my old blog posts, and I just I read them to you via podcast, because that's what I'm here for, just ensuring happiness for all. So just like that, I'm going to read you my old script, except you don't have to look at my face, and that's fine for everybody, because I don't think you want to look at my face, and that's cool. This is all cool for us. So today, we are going to be talking about Arthur John Shawcross, aka the Genesee River Killer so arthur our guy arthur which is such a weird word i have a hard time saying the name arthur i don't know what it is i also have a hard time saying the word rural which is really difficult because i am from a rural part of ohio so it's like i hate having to say that to people because then i feel like i'm i'm stupid but that's you know that's part of the game baby is sounding stupid So he, Arthur, our boy Arthur, he was born on June 6th, 1945 in Kittery, Maine, which as you know, I love to tell you where stuff is, even though you probably don't care and you probably don't want to know. But Kittery, Maine is like right on the border of Maine and New Hampshire, and it's like right on the coast. So you're welcome. Have that information. Um, I like to know where stuff is, and so I like to tell you where stuff is. And that's just something we're going to have to meet in the middle on. We're going to have to compromise on that. And you're just going to have to get used to it. That's just the way she goes, bubs, you know? So, Arthur. He was born two months premature in a U.S. naval hospital. His father, Arthur Roy Shark... Mm -hmm. Arthur Roy Shawcross, which interesting missed opportunity there. I wonder who John was in their life because his name is Arthur John and his dad was Arthur Roy. I don't know why he wouldn't make a junior, but maybe there's a good reason for that. Uh, His dad was a corporal in the army. He was born and his mother, Elizabeth, who went by Bessie, took Arthur to his aunt's house in a Watertown, New York, until his father completed his military service. While growing up, Arthur, even until the age of six, talked like a baby. He was a chronic bedwetter, and eventually he started running away from home. Which I don't know if I em- emphasized this enough in the beginning. He was born two months premature, which is, uh, you know, a long, that's like a risky amount of time to be born premature. So in school, he uh, thrived, actually. Arthur did really well in school, and he, later in life, his intelligence would be deemed below normal or even borderline retarded, Um, their words, not mine. He was tested to have an IQ of 86, but in his first two years of grade school, he received A's and B's. So that was an interesting turn, that he he originally had some great success in school, and then all of a sudden he really didn't anymore, which is quite... um, I mean, I don't know. I I was kind of the opposite in elementary school. I went through a phase. In elementary school, I did really, really well. And then kind of in middle school, I did not do so well. And then by the time high school came around, I really kind of sorted it out. <laughs> but, you know, everybody goes through their own phases. And some people just aren't interested in school. And that's okay, too. Uh, the other children at his school would tease him and call him oddie, like O-D-D-I-E. Um but then he would turn around and bully the younger children until they cried, which I mean, usually when a child is a bully, it's because they're getting bullied in other places of their lives and they, they let out that anger in a different way. So, I mean, that could be part of that. I'm not sure. He was known to fly into a rage at others and often carried an iron bar to school, which in today's trying times, that would not have flown. <laughs> I mean, definitely. Yeah. But it was a different time, you know, it was what, 19, the 1950s, very interesting time for uh, children, particularly. Uh, Arthur growing up uh, was, and this is hard to phrase, sorry, he, he, this is a common theme in his life, but Arthur growing up and later in life was really preoccupied with sex. And you could uh, say that pretty much any. Boy, <laughs> in their teenage years and even in their adult years, are pretty occupied with sex. But he claimed as a child that he would insert things in his rectum. And he also said that his aunt performed oral sex on him when he was nine. And during junior high school, he had sexual relations with his sister and his cousin. All very probably traumatic things to happen to a child slash young teen. Uh, Somewhere along the lines, he also claimed to have sex with animals, including, but not limited to, cows, sheep, a horse, and he claimed to have killed a chicken once, trying to have intercourse with it. Which, that is a lot to take in, I'm sure for all you guys. It's a lot to take in when you're writing the script as well. So, Arthur dropped out of school in 1960. He would have been 15 years old. And after dropping out of high school, he jumped around in jobs, uh, you know, doing the odd, none of them were ever careers, they were all odd jobs, and sometimes he was caught committing petty theft. So that's a thing. In 1964, he got married and the two of them had a son. In April of 1967, he was drafted into the Army at age 21, which was two months before his 22nd birthday. He divorced his wife and gave up the rights to his 18-month-old son and never saw him again, which honestly was probably for the better. Just after he was posted, he married his second wife, who was named Linda Neary, and it all kind of happened relatively quickly. So yeah, yeah. And then he was sent away to war. So I don't understand what the point of divorcing his wife and then getting married again was. Uh, But you know, to each their own. Some people have their own reasons for doing whatever they want to do. So he served one tour of duty in Vietnam, and he boasted about having awful combat exploits and saying, quote, and once again, these are his words, not mine, beheading mamasans and nailing their heads to trees as a warning to the Viet Cong. But in reality, Arthur never saw combat, not even once. While in Vietnam, he was a dispatch clerk who was responsible for flying out to the various war zones with the ammunition via helicopter. He later told psychiatrists that he would go out on, quote, fire missions with forward companies. He said at first he was, quote, shocked by the violence, but eventually began to crave it. Shawcross made a lot of claims about the violence he wrecked over in Vietnam. which are just graphic, awful stories that I don't want to repeat. And honestly, I had to sit down and have a glass of wine after reading them the first time before I made this script, so I'm just not even going to bother talking about it. It's kind of like really fucked up, actually. Uh, He made really outrageous over-the-top claims saying that he had used rubber nipples as a silencer to sneak up on his, quote, prey. But I want to know, where did he get all those rubber nipples from? Don't, if you're in the army, don't you think like somebody would notice that they were missing? I mean, that's, you know, I guess that's just me here to ask the hard questions. Hi, I'm Jana. (laughs) Hire me on a new, no, actually, I don't want to work on the news. I have like really severe public talking issues, um, which comes clear every time I get on a podcast and which is why I miss my podcast closet. Podcast? Yep. So, yeah, I am awkward in front of a camera, as you all probably have seen. But, yeah, uh, my question is, why did he use rubber nipples? How would those work as a silencer? And where did he get them all from? Just asking the hard questions. That's what I'm here for. So... Arthur, our boy, he returned from war in 1969, and some accounts say that he had caught his wife with another man, saying she had spent all his money that he sent home to her, and others would say that she had finally had enough of his disturbing behavior, uh, such as his, quote, sexual enjoyment from fire starting. Uh, either way, the couple eventually divorced for whatever reason, and Shawcross began <clears throat> committing crimes such as arson and burglary. In April, Arthur set fire to a local paper mill, and later that same year, a cheese factory where he was employed at the time. So he's just setting fires left and right. Which usually, in this um, this trifecta that we usually talk about with serial killers, you you're hitting a lot of <laughs> you're crossing a lot of boxes for Arthur Shawcross even up till now. And obviously, fire was kind of the next step in his escalation, if you, you know, if you were doing the math on this one. So eventually, he went to prison (laughs) for setting a bunch of fires, obviously. So he was arrested and convicted and then sentenced to five years in prison. He served the first six months at Attica Prison, where allegedly... Three black inmates raped him, also his words, not mine. He said he beat and then subsequently raped all of his attackers in separate incidents and was subsequently transferred to Auburn to serve the rest of his sentence. In October of 1971, he was released early after he saved a prison guard who had been clubbed in the head during a prison riot. I mean, that's fine. I also think that's, like, kind of crazy that he got out early for that. I mean, I don't know. I guess this man is setting fires to buildings. Like, I, I get that nobody was hurt, but also I think somebody should have been able to sit down and be like, hey, this man's probably not like completely normal and right. Right. But I guess, hey, ma'am, I guess I don't know. I, I know nothing about <laughs> that's not true. I say I know nothing about like how prisons work and the rules. But I mean, also the whole releasing people on good behavior thing is something that I feel kind of iffy about, I guess. Those are just my personal beliefs that, like, if a man murdered a bunch of people, but then he's, like, a really nice guy in jail, and you're like, oh, we're gonna let him go early. I feel like that's that's not how that should work, personally, but I mean... I could be swayed in other directions, I also just don't think good behavior should always get people out of prison depending on the crime, but also this man was setting fires and they uh, I think it's wild that he only got five years to begin with, but then the fact that um, he got let out early for basically good behavior is also kind of wild, but that's once again just my personal opinion. So he saves his prison guard, he gets out of jail, and then he returns to Watertown, and he gets a job with the Watertown Public Works Department. He also gets married again to his third wife named Penny Nickel. She was, what I just realized that is quite a name. Penny Nickel? I love that. I like that her parents saw an opportunity and they took it. I just want to point that out. She was a good school friend of his sister, Jeannie, and had two children from a former relationship. Shaw Cross claimed that even up to this point, he was having a sexual relationship with his own sister, Jeannie. He also claimed that he had gotten Penny pregnant and was also sexually assaulting Penny's younger sister. By his own admission on multiple occasions, Arthur Shawcross was unable to maintain an erection or even complete ejaculation. This man is very open about a lot of things in his life. And it's also kind of weird that he would, A, like if these things were happening, I get being like open about your experiences, right? But at the same time, he's... Saying things that a lot of people cannot corroborate to be the truth, which I'm sure you've noticed by now, but also it's like these are really self deprecating things that he's saying. And I mean, kind of incriminating to himself, his sister. I mean, not that it's incriminating, well, I mean, incest is criminal, I think, in most states. Neither, I don't, I'm not up to date on my incest laws because it uh, does not apply to me. But at the same time, I guess I have. Why would you tell people this? Why is this relevant to the story? You know, I mean, I mean, it's relevant to our story that we're telling right now, like the one we're we're you know you and me we're both in on right now this story. But for his story, I, I just it doesn't seem relevant. I. <laughs> I don't know. It just it seems like a lot of information to tell people who probably didn't ask and probably also didn't want to know. But we're going to get we're going to get further into the story and maybe it'll make more sense for everybody later on. In my personal opinion, I feel like no one can fully trust anything that ever comes out of Arthur's mouth. Just straight up. I guess with his history and his past, we either have to take what he said to be the gospel truth, which it's not. Or meet in the middle and say it's possible some pieces are true and the rest is just whatever. I mean, even then you can get dicey on, like, where do where does the truth end and where does, like, this extra... This, the over-the-top stories about... And just their blatant lies, too, though. It's not... It, his time in Vietnam, you know, that's not just embellishing a war story, which people are known to do. And honestly, you know, for the sake of storytelling, a little bit of embellishment, in my opinion, is okay. Um, But blatantly lying about your experience there and also making up, it's not like he lied and said, oh yeah, you know, I was in battle or whatever, but he like lies about, like, If you have time and you have a strong, a stronger stomach than I have, and you want to read the shit he said that he did in Vietnam, like, that's not, that's not just fibbing about, you know, seeing a battle. That's, like, gross, violent fantasies, which only makes this worse, in my opinion. So it's just, it's just something to think about, right? I guess is the point I'm trying to get at. It's like, he's this story is so wild because a lot of the shit he goes on about is stuff that he said about himself, which is crazy. It's not like anybody would, I don't know, fine. I'm gonna step off my horse for a second, and we're just gonna continue on with the story. But i I hope you're you're getting the message that I'm trying to convey right now is that a lot of the shit that he says doesn't make any sense, and my penny. Is outside the door making noises. So if you hear her, just ignore her. She's deaf, so I can't tell her to go away. She will not hear me. It's all very cool. All very, very fun and exciting. But yes, I'm, I'm stepping off my horse. We're good. Everything's good. All right. So truth, lies, fantasies, whatever aside, one thing we do know is that Arthur spent a lot of time fishing in the creeks and rivers of Watertown, and he had made a lot of friends with the children who also frequented his fishing spots. One of those children was a 10-year-old boy named Jack Blake. Arthur, at some point, asked Jack's mother if Jack could be his fishing companion, and she said no, which was a very good decision on her part, and it seemed as if that was the case, which... Arthur, at this point, is 27 years old. He has no business befriending a 10-year-old boy. That's kind of wild. And (laughs) First of all, okay, I I am going to be 31, ow, next month, and I have nothing in common with 10-year-old children. (laughs) I don't want to have anything in common with 10-year-old children. That's like the sweet age where, like, kids like, are picking their nose and they're sticky all the time and they're real wild and they run around and they're crazy because, like, they're still kids, but they're old enough to, like, get into stuff. I have nothing, I want nothing to do with 10-year-olds, right? And it's just really weird that Arthur was friends with a lot of children and I, I guess that's just my own personal opinion, so I very much agree with Jack's mother that <laughs> she said no. Because I would have said no, too, though. But also, it's weird on Arthur's part to, like, want to be friends. It's fine. I just, that is what it is. So, in either May or June of 1972, and I've seen both, Jack was missing. Mary, who was Jack's mother, had remembered Arthur and stopped at his house to see if he had seen her son. He said he didn't, not since earlier that morning. Whatever morning this was. I don't have the exact date. But Arthur knew where Jack was. He knew because he had sexually assaulted him and then murdered him. Arthur was a suspect in Jack's murder, but no charges were taken against him because of lack of evidence. On September 2nd, 1972, Arthur Shawcross raped and killed an eight-year-old little girl named Karen Ann Hill. She had been visiting Watertown with family for Labor Day weekend. On September 3rd, Shawcross was arrested, and on September 5th, Jack Blake's body was found. Also very weird that... The two people that he attacked and his two victims were children. And I think that's really it's not out of character for him, but it 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 wasn't I guess what you would have expected um, based off of you know, what he talks about, his fantasies and this and that. It is kind of really weird that these it's extra unfortunate, but it is kind of odd that that's the way it went in my personal opinion. So, a grand jury indicted Shawcross for the death of Karen Hill, but on October 17th, he was allowed to plead guilty to a lesser charge of first-degree manslaughter. For why? He was convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Um, he was never convicted of the murder of Jack Blake, even though he admitting admitted to killing the boy and dumping his body. Which, fucking excuse me? You... The amount of free passes this guy had, right? And it's wild because, once again, I still firmly believe that he should have been in jail for a lot longer than he was for burning down multiple buildings and being convicted of burning down multiple buildings because that should have definitely been a sign that like something is not right with this guy. And then you have the fact, how was he able... I wish I had the court transcripts to this, but I couldn't find them. If you find them, send them to me. But the fact that he was indicted for the death of Karen right and the fact why was he allowed to plead guilty to a lesser charge a first degree manslaughter they had him on probably first degree murder but then he was never convicted of the murder of Jack Blake and he also admitted he admitted it, he admitted it he flat out admitted it and nothing ever happened from that which is just so absolutely fucking dumbfounding to me that like it never and it's and if you're mad if you're as mad as i am right now it's about to get worse so i'm just gonna let you know so here we go so reminder for right now he was convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison okay for uh, only getting convicted for first degree manslaughter which is absolute bullshit I feel so awful for those kids and their families because they never got the fucking justice they deserve, especially because had anybody in the legal system done their job, none of the rest of the story would happen. It'd be done. It'd be done now. Arthur, like, oh, Arthur Shawcross, he'd be rotting in prison or he'd be dead by now, which he is dead by now, unfortunately. But, you know, he would be, he wouldn't have been harmed to anybody else. But because the legal system failed those two victims and their families, it's about to get worse, and it could have been stopped. So that's my that's my personal beef, right? So Arthur spent fourteen years in prison, fourteen out of twenty-five, and he was eventually deemed, quote, no longer dangerous. Which who who made that call? Because I would argue, and I think anybody would argue, that he's definitely still pretty fucking dangerous considering he openly talked about having sex with animals, having sex with his sister being raped by his mom, or aunt, whoever, burning down buildings, and then killing two children, and after 14 years, you're like, no, this guy, he's cool. He's totally, he's totes fine. Definitely not a danger to anybody else, and I would like to know who was the person who signed off on that paperwork to say that, because that person, (laughs) I'm assuming they're no longer alive, but if they are, what the fuck, dude? That's so fucked up. And I don't know who would have signed that paperwork. I would like to know the reasoning for why. I mean, I get that, like, I think Arthur, once again, I've never met him in real life, obviously. But I feel like he must have been super charismatic. Like, he does not look like a Ted Bundy guy, right? He looks kind of like, if you ever saw the episode of Forensic Files with John List, he gives John List vibes. Real kind of like a dumpy, dorky looking guy right so it's like when you hear him saying all these crazy combat stories you're like yeah arthur first of all your name's arthur which is nothing against that but like this dumpy looking dude named arthur and you're like hey (laughs) i you know fine but deemed no longer dangerous is quite the bold statement especially with his track record of what he's done so far He was released on parole in April of 1987. He was 42 years old. Arthur and his girlfriend, whose name was Rose Marie Wally, who eventually became his wife at some point, Um, the facts get a little bit fuzzy, because he had to have divorced the third wife that he had before he started dating Rose. So we're on wife number four, which, once again, Arthur's a dumpy-looking dude, and it's just wild that he had four wives. Very interesting. Um, So he and his girlfriend, once again, Rose, were frequently moving around New York State because once people found out that he was a convicted child killer, he wasn't wanted for good fucking reason because he was a child killer. (laughs) He lost jobs, he lost rentals, and eventually his parole officer moved the couple to a transient hotel in Rochester but failed to tell Rochester authorities that they had done so which once again it's like everybody in Arthur's life just drops the fucking ball. This man once again should be in prison for everything that he's done and I would like him I would have liked him to stay there because he deserves to be there. He should not be out and about ruining other people's lives because he's already ruined so many people's lives think about the business owners who own those businesses that he burned down that's kind of fucked up they had to rebuild their lives these two children that were murdered obviously their lives are done their families' lives are ruined and it's like you know he never had to pay the price for any of these things up until this point and he's still not going to pay the price for anything that he's doing because the couple in mid-October found more permanent lodgings, but so now they're living in Rochester, and he is a convicted child murderer, and the people in Rochester, especially the authorities in Rochester, do not know he's there during this time. So they're in Rochester. On the side, Arthur said he started having a relationship with a woman named Clara Neal, um, some people in some of the articles that I've read speculate that he was only dating Clara because he needed a car and he didn't have one of his own. On March 18, 1988, 27-year-old sex worker Dotsie Blackburn went missing. Arthur had ridden his bike to Clara's house and took her car for a drive until he arrived on Lake Avenue, which is near the Genesee River. This was an industrial part of town known for cheap sex workers and drug dealers. Arthur had seen Dotsie, uh, she waved him over to stop if he wanted, uh, sorry, I don't know what happened in my brain there. She waved him over to ask if he wanted a date, and he said he wanted to have mutual oral sex and paid her $30. Shawcross said that at some point, Dotsie bit him on the penis and drew blood. He was mad at her and then bit her um, vaginal area back and then choked her until she lost consciousness seems like a little um exaggerated of a response to that but neither you know (laughs) this guy is a fucking maniac and never got never got any punishment for anything he ever did so he just went, went right ahead uh so he tied her up with articles of her own clothing and drove her to salmon river one of his favorite fishing spots at this point she had woken up arthur was threatening to sexually assault her she began to taunt him and call him names uh he threatened to kill her but she wouldn't stop and so he strangled her to death Uh, he carried her through the snow to a bridge over the river and dropped her body in uh he cleaned up the car the following morning and returned it to clara Um, it was clara's car Apparently, Arthur was such an odd dude that neither Clara or Rose noticed his absence for that time, since he was gone all night. Um, Also, if I were either of them, I'd have been like, cool, don't fucking come back. Neither here nor there. On March 24th, police found the body of Dotsie Blackburn floating in the river some distance downstream from the area where she had been dumped. Her body had been well-preserved by the icy waters, but the water had also removed any evidence that might link her to her killer. Uh, The only thing they did notice about the body was a chunk that had been torn from her vaginal area, from when he bit her. Arthur was able to staunch his anger for several months until his employer found out why he had been to prison. He was fired, and then he went on a rampage. Which, once again... Arthur, homie, you're not like this, like, repentant convicted criminal who, you know, you did your time and, you know, your life's being ruined by, you know, whatever decisions you had made. Like, you are a man, Arthur, you are a man who never paid for your crimes fully and now you're mad when people find out what you did. And then get more mad when you get fired when they find out what you did. How about you, you shouldn't have done that and you're paying the price because you should still be in prison and that's just kind of like, that's the action of the choices that you made, right? A lot of the times I'm pretty lenient, not like on like serial killers or anything, but I'm pretty lenient like, you know, if you make a bad choice, for the most part, you know, you can you know fix it you can figure it out there's a way to get around it you know there's always better things on the horizon but like when you make the choice to hurt people and take their livelihood and take their lives from them i don't care if you're sad that you don't like where you're at now because this was entirely your doing you didn't like especially when you're killing in cold blood or you're you're doing something so disgusting as like intentionally killing somebody, right? I don't feel bad for you. I shouldn't feel bad for you. You made a decision that affected your life and that's a decision you should have to pay for. You, that's a thing you did. There's no going back from that. There's no apologizing to the other person. There's no making amends. Like it is, That was a choice that you made that put you in that situation. And honestly, Arthur Shawcross, you should be in prison for first-degree murder, and you should have never gotten out to begin with. So the fact that he's, you know, whining about getting fired from his job and like, oh, my life is so hard. It's not that hard. You just shouldn't have done what you did, and that's the end of it. I don't feel bad for you. The second victim was a part-time... Sorry, that was a real weird rant and then subject change, so I'm sorry for that. The second victim... In this rampage was a part-time sex worker named Anna Steffen who Shawcross had picked up and taken to the river near Driving Park Bridge on July 9th, 1988. Shawcross claimed that she had offered him sex for 20 bucks, but when he was unable to get an erection, she began to make fun of him. He became angry and punched her to the ground. Trying to get away from him, she crawled into the water, but he went after her and held her, her under the water by the throat until she drowned. He later told police that he couldn't be bothered trying to conceal her body and just let it float downstream. It later became caught up in debris downstream where, because of the warmer conditions, it rapidly decomposed. From that time on, he tried to resist the temptation to kill and got another job working nights packing salads for a company called G&G Food Services. Also disgusting, horrible I've already gone on so many rants. I think you guys should know how I feel about this already. Uh, You just, it's just, this is just one of those ones where you just constantly get more enraged the longer you go on. So Anna Marie Steffen's body was found on September 11th, 1988. He didn't kill again until June of 1989. His third victim was different from the first two in that she was not a sex worker. She was a 58-year-old homeless woman named Dorothy Keller. Shawcross had met Dorothy when she worked as a waitress in a diner that he frequented. The two struck up a friendship, which had quickly turned into an affair. (sighs) On a fine afternoon, Arthur was on his way to the river to fish when he stopped to talk to Kelher. When she found out where he was going, um, she asked if he would take her with him, and he agreed. This next bit is particularly gross, although this whole thing has been fucking gross. According to Shawcross... They spent the whole morning fishing and making love until around midday when it started to rain. They huddled under a crude shelter that he had built and shortly after got into an argument about her stealing money and his relationship with Carla and Rose. He claims that when she threatened to tell the other women about their affair that he became angry and picked up a small log and beat her on the side of the head, killing her instantly. After hiding her body under a fallen tree, he returned home, and he later told police that he returned to the spot several months later and removed the skull and dumped it in the river. On September 29, 1989, Patty Ives, who was 25, was killed. She was a sex worker on Lake Avenue. Arthur claims that she offered him sex for $25 when he approached the same diner where Dorothy Keller had worked. He agreed and they went to a construction site and laid down on a mound of earth, which I hate that phrasing, but that was his description. Uh, While they were having sex, Shawcross says that he caught Ives trying to remove his wallet and pushed her hard against the ground. When she began to cry, he anally raped her and began strangling her until she lay still. He hid her body under some scraps of construction material and waited until dark and went home. Like, the the thought process and the ex- escalation here is just, like, it, uh, it almost leaves me speechless because none of these things, I, I just, it gives me the vibes that he is lying about the reasons why he killed these people, right? And it almost makes it more offensive because instead of just fessing up and saying, yep, I just had this urge that I needed to, like, kill this person for whatever reason... Instead, he makes up these weird things like, oh, I caught her trying to steal from me, or oh, I, you know, she was going to tell and, like, she'd stolen money from me, or oh, you know, she laughed at me, which was probably true, but it's almost, it it makes me feel like he's trying to paint them in a bad light that, like, they, they deserved it somehow. It's almost like looking into the mind of someone who's rationalizing why they did something, but that... Once again, going back to our our rant from beforehand, I don't know how much of what we can trust of his own testimony to be true. I, I mean, do you really think Patty Ives was going to steal his wallet? I mean, obviously she wasn't going to get away with it. They were at a construction site. They were both alone. He probably would have noticed. It's I don't think she would have done that, you know? That doesn't that doesn't strike me as like a normal person behavior. Or it's like, oh, you know, excuse me, with Dorothy, like they were apparently in in a, a relationship, they were having an affair, and that the fact that they went down and they were, quote, fishing and making love all day until it rained, and it wasn't until they were huddled under a crude shelter that he built that he's like, Oh, I'm gonna confront you like we're gonna fight about something and then that's why like that it, it i don't know it seems like a really weird time like you you said yourself that you were fishing and having a great time and making love all day but then the second you you have to talk about the fact that you killed her is when you say well oh well she stole money from me like that i argue the validity of his statements every time i don't believe anything that he says except for where he's confessing um because I don't think he's playing with a full deck of cards, which I mean from his IQ and I mean, whatever, but he, I feel like he, 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 wow. He paints this picture of himself for himself to rationalize his actions, even though like you're still in the wrong dude. It, like you're, you're painting yourself. You're trying to paint yourself in a better light, but honestly, in my opinion, you're just making yourself look worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On October 21st, 1989, fishermen eventually found Dorothy Keller's remains, Um, but Shawcross was never connected with the woman, even though he'd been seen with her regularly and often went to the fishing spot where he left her body. Once again, people dropping the ball, where people knew they hung out with each other. People knew they had a relationship. I mean, maybe they didn't know the type of relationship they had, but people knew who she was and they knew they hung out. So why... Why was he never even thought of as being a possible suspect? On October 23rd, 1989, June Stott went missing. She was a friend to Arthur and Rose and was a regular visitor to their home. Shawcross had seen June sitting near the river on a warm November day and asked her to go, to, asked her to go on a ride with them. Although I kind of want to, I'm pausing for a second, I'll be right back sorry about that i just wanted to check my dates because this didn't sound right but it is correct also let me remind you that these are completely unedited and that's on purpose because i like to talk in an unedited fashion (laughs) these are kind of more of a let's just talk shit about people and like let me tell you a story okay cool all right so on october 23rd june stott went missing that is correct she was a friend to arthur and rose that is also correct he saw her sitting near the river and asked her to go on a ride with him. She gratefully accepted, and they drove down to a local beach where they played on the sand and fed birds before they walked to a deserted area to lay down on the ground and make love. Also, once again, don't know if this is, any of this is true. At some point in their lovemaking... According to Shock he claims that he made an innocent comment about her not being a virgin and she started screaming. He then held his hand over her mouth to silence her, but soon realized that he had suffocated her. I don't believe that for a second, but okay, go off. He says after that, he then cut her open with his knife so that she would decompose quicker and covered her with a blanket and brush and left her. Seems like a weird step to do if you accidentally killed somebody in, you know, a heat of passion or, you know, you didn't realize you were suffocating her. It seems really weird to go ahead and then also mutilate the body, but go off. That's fine. He later claimed during interviews, and it's just, ugh, it's just one of those things. He's such a gross human. He's so gross to look at. He's so gross to listen to. Like, this is just so infuriating I hate talking about the things he said I hate talking about the words he <laughs> claimed to have you know done and it's like I do remember this script when I wrote it the first time a very long time ago that I, I was in rage, and I kind of glanced over it again today to make sure it made sense but like also I'm sitting here just getting re-mad about the whole thing and I forgot how mad I had gotten and now I remember how mad I was because I'm also mad again but regardless he later claimed in an interview to have removed her vagina and some of her organs and ate them fuck off Arthur Shawcross god you're such an awful piece of shit he's such an awful human it's just he's so disgusting and for what for why why do you need to mention that it's not relevant to the story it's not relevant to anything but it's just He's just so delusional about everything. So, that happened. Four days later, the body of Patricia Ives is found. On November 5th, 1989, Arthur meets up with this woman named Mary Welch, who is another sex worker from Lake Avenue. He took her to a small beach near the banks of the Genesee River, where they argued over a suitable price before they began having sex. Again... He makes the claim that she tried to take his wallet and he strangled her. He later changed his story and told investigators that he had become angry and killed her when he realized that she was menstruating. He drove further down the road next to the river and dumped her body in some bushes, which once again, you see it, you're seeing a pattern here, I hope, of where he just finds a reason to blame these women who are just trying to make money and live their best lives and he finds a reason to blame them for something and makes excuses for why he killed them. Fucking foul. Absolutely disgusting. Just want to clarify. There is a pattern here, and it's gross. Six days later, he killed another sex worker named Francis Brown in a similar circumstances uh, to Mary Welch. Except in this instance, he claims to have choked Brown with his penis while having oral sex and then continued to have sex with her body after she died. Fucking foul. I also don't think I believe that, but also, like, my argument, and this is just for sake of just how fucking awful this human is, and I don't know why he was even out to begin with, I've already said that a bunch of times, but it's like, listen, Arthur, Fucking, you already, you already killed these women, right? Like, you already took their lives. You already did, like, the worst thing you could ever do to a person. But then after you killed them, like, you, you, like, talk shit about these people and then make up awful stories about it, too. Like, it's, it, it kind of goes back to the whole Vietnam thing, right? Like, you're not even, you already did the worst thing you could possibly do, right? And You already admitted to doing the worst thing ever, but then you have to go and it's not even embellishing the story It's just blatant lying for what so you can live up to this fantasy of yourself that you have so that you can You know, like you feel like such a Billy badass because you know Wow, you you made up this story about you killed a woman because she was menstruating. Like go fuck yourself That's so gross and everything about this man and I I want you to Google him so that you can get, like, a good picture of just how fucking icky this guy is. He gives me the ick just, like, looking at his pictures. He looks like the type of guy who would just, like, really lie about this kind of stuff. And it's just... Yep. I mean, I feel like I'm preaching a lot, and I don't mean to, but at the same time, like, dude, I... <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that are real pieces of shit, right? But, like, I think the biggest piece of shit that I've come across so far in my true crime career and also being a lover of true crime in general, like, Arthur Shawcross is fucking up there. This guy sucks. Like, he... I hope in whatever special place in hell he is burning in right now, I hope it is particularly hot, and I hope that every single icky fantasy that he lied about and every single fucking icky thing that he claims to have done gets done to him every single day in his layer of hell. That's how I feel about Arthur Shaw Cross. Fine. When he ended up dumping Francis Brown's body so much debris was dragged down when she fell down the embankment that police thought that she had been covered intentionally. Following Brown's murder, the media began to pick up the story of the murders so that, uh, so many, sorry, I'm flustered. Uh, following Brown's murder, the media began to pick up on the story of the murders of so many Rochester women within the 18 month, uh, period calling this unknown predator the rochester night stalker the rochester strangler and the genesee river killer this is one of those times where like i really wish have you ever seen those instagram things where it's like oh we call serial killers like the little pee guy or like tiny little penis man i think they should have given him a better name like <laughs> i'm not even gonna say it never mind but you know what i'm saying um Some people even suggested that the crimes were similar to the Green River killings in Seattle and speculated that the killer had merely changed localities. On November 15th, 1989, Kimberly Logan went missing and was found dead the same day. Uh, Frances Brown's body was also found that day. June Stott's body was found on November 23rd, 1989. On November 25th, uh, Liz Gibson went missing and her body was found two days later. Liz Gibson got in his, into his car to keep warm while he was getting coffee from a diner. They had oral sex in the car, and again, he claimed that she tried to take his wallet, and he got angry and strangled her. Shawcross later told police that she had struggled so hard that she had broken the gear shift in his car. Fucking serves you right, you piece of shit. He disposed of Gibson's body in a new area near Wayne County as he feared the police were getting too close. Things were quiet for a little bit after after the discovery of Liz's body. Uh, what seemed to be a really quick escalation also seemed to slow down. But on December 15th and 17th, Darlene Trippy and June Cicero went missing, respectively. He picked Darlene Trippy up on Lake Avenue and drove her to an isolated car park. After the money was paid, they indulged in oral sex, but Shawcross failed to get an erection. She became frustrated and called him names, and he choked her until she lay dead under him, and he dumped her body in a woodland. Once again, similar trends. He just can't come up with an original lie anymore. (laughs) Disgusting. Uh, even though the police were out in force in the Lake Avenue area, Arthur Shawcross picked up an attractive girl named June Cicero and took her to another isolated area and attempted sex with her before strangling her. Which was frustrating to the police because the Genesee River killer had struck again while they were actively trying to protect the Lake Sorry, the Lake Avenue area. Uh, this time he dumped the body off a bridge over the Salmon River. June Cicero's body was found on J- January 3rd. Uh, Darlene Trippy and Mary Welch's body bodies wouldn't be found until January 5th. The final victim, and like, thank God this is coming to an end because this has been almost a full hour of fucking hell for both of us, I'm sure. The final victim was another sex worker. Only this time, Arthur chose a black woman named Felicia Stevens, um, which was out of the norm for him. In later interviews, he stated that he could not recall any details of Felicia's murder, only that she was black and he had strangled her and dumped her body near those of Jean Cicero and Dorothy Blackburn. Uh, It was his desire to keep the bodies where he could find them again was what led to his capture. So on Wednesday, January 3rd, 1990, he drove to Salmon Creek in Northampton Park to visit Jean Cicero's body. Fucking gross. He was aroused at the thought of having sex with her corpse, which I don't know if that's actually true or not. I don't remember where that came from. Uh, Seems kind of weird. Arthur hadn't been following the progress of the serial task force that had become prime news on TV and in the papers. If he had, uh, he would have known that police surveillance in and around the Northampton Park area had increased dramatically. He was happy that there were no cars parked where he wanted to stop on a bridge overlooking the creek so he could view Jean's body while he ate his lunch a salad that he prepared at the work that he had somehow not been fired from. What he did not know was that a police helicopter had been checking the Salmon River and had not only seen his car parked on the bridge, but also the outline of the body under the ice. As the helicopter approached, Shawcross left the area and drove along Highway 31 and turned left at Route 5259, heading toward the town of Spencerport, with the helicopter following his every move. The helicopter crew then called in two patrol cars and followed the car and intercepted it. They followed it to an address in Spencerport where the car was parked, and Shawcross got out and entered the Wedgwood adult home where his wife worked. So after he was caught, um, the question was, how could somebody get away with all this? And um, retired detective Robert Keppel argued that the detectives that were investigating the case over-relied on the concept of MO, modus operandi, and they... They were looking way too closely at, I guess, the fine details of these crimes, and they weren't stepping back and seeing the grand picture here. Um, And apparently they were looking for multiple suspects due to super small differences in the profiles of each victim. In November of 1990, um, Shawcross was tried for the 10 murders that occurred in Monroe County. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, Um, Which he actually had a psychiatrist on hand who said he had brain damage, um, dissociative identity disorder, and PTSD. um, Mostly all from, I think, being sexually abused as a child. Uh, Which is, this is where all the stuff about Vietnam came out. Because I think, and I mean, I know I said it earlier, like all the stuff he did, but I think he only did and only said all that stuff because he was really trying to get the not guilty by reason of insanity order um he really just wanted to not be guilty i uh, was trying i think saying anything that he could have done to like get out of it so actually wrestler um who was oh i just lost my place fbi criminal profiler profiler robert k wrestler who i'm sure you've heard her before because he's very big in the true crime community I mean he's like kind of like one of the guys you know what I mean uh so he wrote that um Shawcross's claim of having witnessed wartime atrocities was patently outrageous and untrue which I would argue to say about pretty much every fucking thing Arthur Shawcross has ever said in his goddamn life it's patently outrageous and untrue um somebody also said when he was on trial that he had antisocial personality disorder. Um, also he could just be a fucking lying piece of shit and an asshole without any of these, you know, (laughs) diagnoses, but that's also just my own personal opinion. Mental health should be taken seriously, and I don't think acting like a crazy person on the stand and telling lies all the time should give you, they shouldn't allow you to to be diagnosed with a personality disorder or mental health issue just to get you out of the crimes that you committed, right? If that's actually the case, and if you actually show signs of these things, I think that's one thing. But I also just think Arthur got up on the stand and was trying to play every play in the book to get out of his crimes again, again, because once again, might have reminded that he should fucking be imprisoned. None of this should have happened. He should have still been in prison. So the trial had lasted three months and the jury only deliberated for six and a half hours, which, fucking love you guys, uh, in December 1990, he was convicted of all the crimes. On July 10th, 1997, he married Claire Neal. So that's a thing. Um, that's really a choice on everybody's part in that situation, I'd say, because if all this came out and obviously all, all everything I just read to you would have come out in the trial, but somebody still wanted to marry him. All right. Um, In 2003, he was interviewed um, for a, a documentary, I think, about, you know, all of his it was, well, it was for a documentary on cannibalism, and they were trying to ask him about everything, and, like, I don't know. He lied again about a bunch of stuff and un- un-lied about other things, so, like, he just can't fucking keep his story straight, which is what happens when you lie all the time. So, fuck him, I guess. So, on November 10th, 2008, the story's finally coming to an end. Sorry, this is so fucking long. I didn't remember this being the song. He claimed, um he had a pain in his leg there was a, you know, he had some issues on November 10th, 2008 he was taken to the Albany Medical Center and he had a heart attack and he died at 9.50pm and then he was cremated so that's a thing um quite unfortunate that he did not live long enough to be tortured forever well, hang on okay So, sorry, he was only 63 when he died, so that's quite unfortunate that he didn't live a full life of torture in the prison society, but that's just how I feel. Also, fun fact, he was never convicted of a first-degree murder. He was only convicted of second-degree murders for everything I just mentioned, and he got a life in prison without parole or a term amounting to 250 years. I was just looking on the Wikipedia page, and it has been updated since the last time I looked at this, which was, to be fair, a couple years ago. Um, fun fact, Dr. Michael H. Stone, who is a professor of psychiatry at Columbia University, and I love this, I'm going to quote him verbatim, he says that Arthur Shawcross was, quote, one of the most egregious examples of the unwarranted release of a prisoner. So if you ever want to read the book that he wrote, it's called The Anatomy of Evil, because I would agree with you, Dr. Michael H. Stone. I don't know why he was ever let out of prison, because obviously he was fucking crazy, Uh, Also, which I don't use the term crazy lightly, but I I don't know what particularly was wrong with him. And one of the other things that I saw here um, in in an article that came out in 2020 was that it was determined that Shawcross had a cyst pressing on the temporal lobe of his brain as well as scarring in his frontal lobes, which are responsible for decision-making and self-control. So that is definitely i'm assuming something that very much played into (laughs) everything that was wrong with him uh because he was never diagnosed officially with what was wrong with him but definitely something was not right in this man's brain um he also has a daughter and a granddaughter the picture is on wikipedia which is quite an interesting uh thing that is that happened in life um one of those uh, that's one of those situations I'm not going to comment either here or there Uh, I feel bad that that's your dad Um, yeah (laughs) okay well because that was just a really long upsetting time and I am mad now uh, I think that's where I'm going to end it hopefully i will have a youtube video out this week hopefully y'all were not too disgusted or offended by anything that happened today in this podcast time um yeah that's that's all i have once again there's not going to be an outro because it sounds like crap um yeah so thank you for listening if you stuck around this long and thank you for you know in there for me to rant to. I appreciate every single one of you. You're all the best. You're all the most perfect humans. So thank you. And I'll see y'all next week.